Hey everyone, and welcome to the OS Training Podcast. My name is Steve Burge, and in this week's episode, we're talking with Rod Martin. If you've been around OS Training at all, you probably recognize Rod's voice and perhaps his face as well. He's been the front person for many of OS Training's most popular videos, including a YouTube class which has garnered nearly 2 million views now. Rod takes us through his equipment setup, his process, and the thinking behind the videos he's created over the last few years. Uh, hopefully you'll find lots of fascinating tidbits if you're interested in videos or in training in general. Hey Rod, welcome to the OS Training Podcast. Thanks, Steve. So Rod, we've been working together for for years now and you've been the, the resident video expert at OS Training. Um, but one of the things I always find hilarious is that you live in perhaps the worst place in the US for dealing with large video files. <laughs> Yeah, I live uh, in a very rural community outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, um, in a tiny little town in in Indiana. Our internet capabilities is uh, is pretty bad. You're basically still on dial-up in the middle of the countryside? Pretty much, yeah. I, so you're dealing with all these large 10 megabyte video files. Is it painful to, to live out in the, in the sticks and have to deal with all those files? Well, it, it can be, but fortunately, I've got good friends in, in town that allow me to go in and steal their Wi-Fi. So a couple of times a week, I just pop in and upload large files and download large files. and They're pretty good about it. So tell me about yourself, about your background. How did you end up living in such a, a rural part of Indiana? Wow, that's a great story. So many years ago, living in Canada, uh, working at a conference center up in northern Ontario, and took a job in northern Kentucky, which is part of the tri-state area here. Worked there for about three years and then decided to start my own business. And then you came along and we started talking and I started doing videos for you. But uh, we've lived here in Dillsboro, Indiana now for, I guess, about 11 years. And we like most things about the rural setting. Uh, of course, there are some drawbacks like anything. I can't go to Starbucks at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I don't have any good internet access. Other than that, it's pretty nice. Cool. So I guess since talking with me a few years ago, you've spent several years diving deep into, into video recording and video editing. Uh, you probably know about as much as anyone around about video editing, and you help set up all our new teachers as well. So imagine if... I was brand new to video recording. I wanted to sit down and set up my new home studio. What kind of advice would you give to me? Well, you've got to start with what kind of videos are you creating? So for this discussion, we're assuming that you're building the kind of tutorials that we've done at OS Training. So screencasts, um, maybe some on-screen video for, for you as a person. But we're not talking about high production, movie quality, kinds of video here. We're talking about the kinds of things you'll see on YouTube as people explain either software or different concepts. So that's the first thing you've got to decide what kind of video you're creating. Then you've got to sit down and think about, all right, what kind of tech do I need? Today, it is probably cheaper than ever to get into this space. You don't need a dedicated studio anymore. You don't need $10,000 computers anymore. You don't need $10,000 cameras anymore. Quite frankly, you can do all of what we've done with either a basic Mac or PC, a pretty good microphone, and I can talk more about some of this technology later, 
you'll need a good piece of software. You don't need Final Cut Pro or even something like Adobe Premiere anymore. You can get by with a piece of software that costs you between $150 to $300 to do all of the editing. So it's really exciting actually now to be doing these kinds of videos. You can actually do them for a pretty inexpensive amount of money. So if someone but, has a computer already, a decent a computer with decent specs, they just need to buy maybe Camtasia or ScreenFlow for 100 bucks or so? Right. So on the Mac, you're looking at ScreenFlow. I think it's $149 now. Whenever they come up for upgrades, it's just $49. And then Camtasia is still around the $299 mark. Uh, I'm a Mac guy myself, so I'm a huge fan of ScreenFlow. And it's just been a fantastic piece of software through the years. So then you get... Uh, some ch fairly cheap editing software, and then you could buy a microphone for maybe 50 to 100 bucks or so? Right, and again, it depends on the quality you want. Bad audio will ruin a good video any day. So you should look at a microphone, at least something in the range of, like you said, 50 to 100 dollars. I use uh, the Mic 96K from Apogee, which is around 300 dollars, and it's a much, much better microphone than say a $50 headset. But quite frankly, in the early days, that's exactly what I used, a $50 headset. And we got some really good results with it. So you can start with the $50 headset, move up a little bit depending on your budget. I know people who do these kinds of things with $1,000 systems and you just don't need that to get the quality. Frankly, the best thing you can do is make sure you have a very quiet room, no high ceilings, no dogs barking in the background. Uh, that's probably most of the deal right there. It's almost as if microphones can be too sensitive for your environment. And that's really true. Uh, your environment's important. They're fantastic if you're in a sound booth, you know, padded foam walls and very small space. But most of us aren't in that. Most of us are in a side bedroom or a, a home office or an office in an environment where there's going to be noise. So a good unidirectional microphone like the Mic 96K from Apogee allows you to have that kind of one direction sound, not pick up too much, and yet make your voice sound pretty good. Okay, so you, you get your software for your computer, you get your microphone. Is there anything else someone would need to get started? No, not really. That's it. Uh, you need a plan, of course. But on the hardware and software side, really all you need is a computer, a good mic, and your software. And then you're ready to go. Are you a believer in making a little home studio, getting blankets and putting them on the walls and making sure <laughs> everything is soft, making a little... A soundproof environment? Again, it really depends on the style of videos you're making, but from an audio perspective, yes. The smaller the room, the less interference from outside or even, you know, the dogs barking downstairs. The better you can make that, the easier time you'll have in editing your voice later on. But it's absolutely not necessary to do, you know, the whole padded walls, blankets all over the walls and things like that. If you're in a fairly small room, I would recommend at least carpet and not 11-foot ceilings. That kind of echo is really hard to edit out later on. So the better the soundproofing, the better the audio. But don't go to extremes unless you're 
making highly professional screencasts that people are paying you a lot of money for. So it sounds like the best environment might be to move out of your office and move into a closet, uh, a small room with soft clothes all around in a, a really enclosed environment. If you can do that, sure. Uh, right now, and for most of the videos that I've ever done, that's not been the case. I'm in a room that's about 10 feet by 20 feet. It's got a eight and a half foot, you know, normal height ceiling carpet on the floors. It's just not at the front of the house where the cars are going by and things like that. So managing your environment is a big part of it, but you don't need to go to an extreme. So you've been doing this for a few years now. How would you say you've, you've learned and got better? If you look back to the first videos you did compared to what you're doing now, how has it changed? What kind of, what kind of tips have you picked up and what kind of changes have you made to the way you've done the videos? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a big part of it for me has been the preparation. Uh, in the early days, honestly, I made it up as I went. And you could, you could tell that in some of the earlier videos. As well, you know, just not being as smooth with the mouse on the screen, not being as smooth with my voice, or at least trying to speak clearly. Talking too quickly sometimes was, in the early days, was something I had to really fight because you can go at such a pace that people can't keep up with you. And uh, that is just as big a detriment as being boring. Um, one of the worst things you can be is boring. So I think from the early days to now, I probably plan a little bit more. I don't necessarily always write a script. It depends on the topic and how well I know the software that I'm teaching. So for instance, the Drupal 8 videos we did last year, the introduction to those videos and the introduction to each section was scripted, but the actual tutorials as we went through each part of it was not. I know Drupal pretty well, even Drupal 8 when it was first coming out. I didn't need to write a script to go through each section. So, so the danger of a script is you can sound too robotic. It takes the, the fun out of it for the listener? Yeah, I really think so. It, and it depends, again, how well you read uh, and if you're on camera. Uh, if I'm on camera doing these introductions, which I've done a number of times, then I use a, a little teleprompter behind the camera. When I'm doing just a screencast and I'm just recording the screen, yeah, I think reading a script can get really monotonous. And people like to hear your pauses sometimes, uh, you know, the way you're interacting with the software in a very natural flow. So it's a balance. This may be a, maybe a, a touchy question perhaps, but would you say that absolutely anyone can do screencasting? <laughs> we've, we've kind yeah. of ended up almost by accident at OS training, or yeah, perhaps not by accident, mainly picking Canadians or people from the US Midwest to do the videos. They seem to have that very clean accent that almost anyone can understand. And being British myself, I often run across people not being able to understand me to, to be a successful screencaster, do you need to have that kind of newscaster, Midwestern American, <laughs> transatlantic kind of clean accent, or, or does that not really play into it? Well, I think the bigger issue is, can you actually teach? Uh, I think while your voice is important, and that accent is important, and I'll come back to it, I think, do you have a teacher's heart? Can you actually put together the information in a way that makes sense to a learner. I think that's a bigger issue. I've watched some fantastic screencasts from people who 
I struggled to understand uh, because of either their accent or English wasn't their first language. But they had a teacher's heart and a way of putting it out there that was really, really clear. That said, yes, I do agree that your accent and the way you speak does play a huge role. I've been told over the years that I have a, a really good voice for this kind of thing, and, and I really appreciate those people when they've said it. But you're right, it's a Midwest slash Canadian kind of accent. I think part of that is that it's not a real accent at all. It's just a pretty normal kind of voice. It's not a deep Southern voice. It's not a strong accent in other ways. And English is my first language, so people who are English speakers don't have to struggle with that kind of thing. So, yeah, I th I th it's an interesting point that you bring up. I think the teacher's heart is probably the bigger issue there, but not having a strong accent is probably an advantage. So you've been doing this almost full time now for, uh, for a good number of years. I I'm curious, does it get a little crazy to be teaching and doing video work all the time? Do you have to to balance going out and actually learning things versus teaching all the time. I've spoken with a few people that go a little crazy after spending a week or two weeks just staring at the video screen, listening to the sound of their own voice. How do you stay sane while constantly teaching all the time? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Yeah, and absolutely I go crazy. Uh, when we were doing uh, OS training full-time, as you know, one of the things that I struggled with was always being in the studio. Being out teaching real people was something I really valued. And yes, it does get kind of crazy at times. Some of the valuable things that I've tried to do to lessen that craziness is actually talking with real people instead of just creating videos. And so, you know, I've been onboarding uh, enterprise customers in a particular piece of software over the last year and a half. Uh, also, just getting out and talking to real people and taking breaks. Um, obviously, you know, you have to learn the software. You have to learn and be an expert in whatever you're teaching. Otherwise, no one's going to listen to you. So there's that part of it. And then, you know, taping in chunks. And if you're doing your own editing, editing in chunks, breaking it up that way is something that I've used uh, over the years to also help in that area. So I'm not taping for six hours straight and then editing for, you know, 20 hours straight. It's talk for an hour and edit for a couple of hours and break it up that way. Plus, even in the middle of a course, Sometimes you might learn something new about a piece of software, which happened to me a lot doing the Drupal 8 videos. And, you, you know, you might just need to take a break, learn a little bit more, come at it at a different angle, re-record the video so it's better. And that's kind of a challenge. There's always a challenge in doing this. It's a lot of fun. So you mentioned the Drupal 8 videos a couple of times. I guess they may be the thing that you and perhaps even OS Training are best known for. Mm -hmm. They've got nearly 2 million views on YouTube now and they went viral as much as any kind of a tech video can. Uh, <laughs> what do you attribute the success of a super popular class like, like that to? Obviously, it was probably the first Drupal 8 training, but you did quite a lot of green screen work there. Do you have any inclination as to why people really latched on to the work you did there? I think there's a couple of reasons for that. The book that you wrote, Understanding Drupal 8, was exceptional, and it was a great launching point for the videos we were able to take that content and make it make sense for people in bite-sized chunks, taking them through a real site-building process. And so although there's, I think, 67 videos in the series, which is a lot, they were broken down into five to seven-minute time chunks, 
They were very logically arranged. The pace of the teaching, I thought, was really good. And so the feedback that we've had from the people who've watched those is, okay, so the pace is great, your voice is great, you don't go too fast, you're really patient, uh, you reiterate things where you feel like you need to reiterate those things. And the fact that, yes, it was the very first major course in Drupal 8 that hit the market at the right time, right at the release of Drupal 8, uh, I think those factors all come into play there. As you mentioned, did some green screen uh, for the introductions. I've struggled with that over the years. Do I put myself on camera? Do I not? I think for introductory videos, putting myself on camera was the right thing to do. I think it helps connect people with you as a teacher. But I think the actual training part where we go through the software and dive into each element, I think, you know, having me not in the videos was probably the right thing to do. People could see the full screen. Of course, we did a lot of editing. We zoomed in and out and things like that. So the content, the pace, the teaching style that I tried to bring to that course, I think all of those things went into making it such a successful course. And you're right, it's, it's huge. I mean, two million views on YouTube for a tech course is it's pretty good. Uh, pretty excited about that. So it sounds like you treat green screen almost like you treat writing a script. It has to be done in small doses at the right time. Uh, how do you actually do the green screen work? You said you have a fairly small office. I can't imagine that you do the green screen work inside that. Believe it or not, yeah, we do. Uh, I've got a, a nice, pretty typical green screen. I've got a few lights that, that I've purchased through the years, and, and it's a pretty compact setup. Really, all you need, and there's a lot of tutorials on green screen, uh, so I'd encourage people to go and just Google it, but you really just need to have the green screen lit well. You need some separation from you and the screen, and then have yourself lit well with the camera, you know, probably four to six feet away from you, a microphone just out of view, and ScreenFlow has green screen filtering built in. Uh, it's not as good as Final Cut Pro, so if your lighting is good and your separation is good, then ScreenFlow is usually pretty good, and it does a good enough job. So yeah, literally, you don't need a big studio to do green screen. Honestly, you just need a little bit of space. The lighting is the most important thing when it comes to green screen. Oh, okay, so you get maybe an iPhone camera and point it at yourself? So yeah, for years, I did all of the video using whatever iPhone I had laying around. Now I'm using the Logitech C920. Uh, it's a fantastic little webcam paired with the video software called webcam settings for the Mac. I think that's $9. Uh, it's just fantastic. The webcam itself is only $60. It's far better for this kind of thing than the iPhone. And it goes right into your computer using ScreenFlow. So there's no jostling files around. It's really sped up that whole process for me. So that's what I'm using right now and highly recommend. Cool. So you've been in the, the training business in one sense or another for several years now. Would you advise people to, to get into the training business, to start selling their videos on their own site or on Udemy or partnering with a company like us? Is it, is it something that people do out of the love for teaching? Or are there actually jobs, are there revenue streams that people can have doing this these days? Well, I think the revenue stream idea is, is obvious. I mean, OS training, lynda.com, uh, which was just bought out by LinkedIn. Uh, Udemy, Coursera, all of these online training venues are making money for their instructors. 
How much money? Well, that's debatable, but absolutely. This is the, probably the best time to get into online training and producing videos. You can do it for your own clients, but if you want to have a broader audience, there's absolutely great ways to do that. Now, that said, it is a pretty crowded space. And I think what we learned with the Drupal videos on YouTube was that if you're first, you're going to at least have a leg up. If you're, you know, six months after somebody else has already released a similar course, then probably you're going to struggle. So first out of the gate, I think, is important when it comes to this. But if it's your passion, you have some talent for it, you've got a decent voice, and you can explain things well, yeah, there's never been a better time for people to start doing screencasting type videos and training. I guess the best way to think about it is that it's a fairly mature market at this point. Uh, we had uh, Brian Hogg, who's a WordPress developer on uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that the WordPress market is, you know, probably getting on for 10 years old now for themes and plugins. And there's lots of well-established contenders. All of those had the first mover advantage. And so just like with training, you still can make good money and you still can break through, but you're going to need to hit a, a really interesting and fresh angle, perhaps get into a new category really early, a new JavaScript framework comes out. You create some really good material for it. You need something special and different at this point to make a mark. Yeah, I, I would agree. You've got to find your niche and you've got to be first to market. By the way, I did listen to that podcast. I found that to be a really interesting comparison. It is a mature market. You've got YouTube videos out the wazoo on every topic under the sun. Uh, if you want free videos, you can get them at YouTube. I think one of the things that I'm finding, however, is that if you're serious about learning something, it's worth investing a little bit of money to get good training rather than watching something that someone just threw up onto YouTube. I think the editing process that a good video goes through is important. And you're, sometimes you just don't get that uh, in the free services like YouTube. So yes, find your niche, be early to market, get a good distribution system like OS Training or Coursera, Udemy, lynda.com. Some of those are pretty tough to break into. But if you can find that niche, I think that's a big part of it. So if someone wants to do training these days, then video is competitive, but it's cheap and easy to get into. You can get set up for maybe a couple of hundred bucks between a microphone and the software. What about other training avenues? Do you think there are still opportunities in offering live training, either in a classroom or one-to-one -one with students? Or has training entirely moved online at this point? Well, again, I think it depends on the market you're in. For things like we're doing with Drupal and Joomla and WordPress, those kinds of things, even some of the work that I've done over the last couple of years, I think you're right. It's moved online. And unless there's a real specific reason for doing it live, and a lot of people still prefer live training, it's just that it's pretty expensive. That said, there's still a lot of live training going on out there, depending on the topic and the difficulty of the concepts. So for instance, I know of one l very large company that does some fantastic work in the live training space, but even their material is now moving online more and more. And probably over the next year or two, they'll start to see their live training start to dwindle, I would think. You know, we still get some requests for doing live training these days, but increasingly we will turn up at a training venue. For example, we got went out to 
Silicon Valley last year for a, a big training class at a, a big multinational company out there and walked in the room and was faced with two people sitting in the room and about 16 people in India calling in through a GoToMeeting. And even the live training, and I'm doing air quotes at this point, seems to be increasingly moving online. It may be a handful of people in the room with even more people dialing in through WebEx or GoToMeeting. Yeah, I really find that to be a frustrating thing simply because in live training, the best way you can do this is to see people's faces and actually interact with them. But as you and I both know, the cost benefit of having that kind of interface with the software that you mentioned, um, there are some real cost savings. The downside, of course, if people like to learn in a classroom, and many, many people still do, it's hard to get that feeling, it's hard to get that response, it's hard to get that interaction when you're thousands of miles away looking at your computer screen. So do you still enjoy doing training at this point? Uh, so you've you've worked with us at OS Training for years and um, uh, done some high-profile training for other startups and big companies. Do you imagine yourself still doing tech training in a few years or are you itching to get back in, into coding or how are you feeling about the training business at the moment? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Uh, coding, absolutely not. Uh, if I never write another line of code, I'll be quite happy, although <laughs> I, I still am, but it's just, it's never been my strength. Training is one of the things I do really well and it's a privilege whenever I get to do it. So uh, will I, do I see myself doing it still in three or four years? I, I think so. I don't see myself ever moving out of the kind of space where I can, number one, help people, number two, uh, speak to either people online or in groups. It's one of the things I love to do. And so training gives me that opportunity. And yeah, I see myself doing that for quite a long time. Oh, wonderful. Thanks, Rod. So if people want to see more of your videos or keep up with what you're doing, how can they keep in touch with you? Well, thanks, Steve. I think people can keep up with me on my blog at imrodmartin.com. So that's imrodmartin.com. Uh, my company is Navigate Tomorrow, so that's navigatetomorrow.com. And of course, OS Training has a ton of my videos, so I'd encourage people to uh, sign up and check those out there. Yeah, if you go to the OS Training YouTube channel, then you'll get uh, all you can handle of Rod's videos. I forgot to mention, of course, Joomla.org has a bunch of our training on it as well. So uh, between you and me, I think we cover most of the topics there. Cool. Wonderful. Thanks, Rod. Thanks, Steve. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>